Obviously, we're going to talk about the resurrection today, being Easter Sunday. The resurrection places a demand on our life. Did you know that? We think about the resurrection in a lot of ways. Sometimes we only think of it once a year. But we should think about it every day because the resurrection is our reality every day. The resurrection places a demand on our life more than a mere symbol or idea to inspire hope. It does that. It is a symbol. It does inspire hope. But the resurrection is much, much more than that. The resurrection brought into the created order new life. Jesus is risen bodily, historically, and eternally. He was not merely resuscitated to life. I want you to understand this. There is a difference between resuscitation and resurrection. Jesus was not just brought back to life. Jesus was resurrected. And the resurrection of Jesus speaks to much more than just a return to life. It speaks of new life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection. He is the new man, the first of the new creation. Thus the words of the apostle, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Thus, the resurrection is our only way to a new creation. It beckons us and places a demand on us to accept it or to reject it. There is no avoiding this. So today I want to talk to you about the demand of resurrection. Jesus is risen. He is no longer dead. He has gone before us in new life. Not just resuscitated life, but new life. And the question is, are you risen with him? Because if you are in Christ right now, you are risen with him. So the resurrection is something that has already taken place if we are in Christ. And yes, the resurrection is something that will take place one day bodily for us when this mortality puts on immortality, when this corruption puts on incorruption. This is the miracle and the beauty and the promise and the hope of resurrection. It speaks of what has already taken place, what is taking place, and what will one day take place. And all of that is an eternal promise. The resurrection of Jesus is not just an historical event that is done with. It is an historical event, yes, but it is an eternal promise. Reality, an eternal truth that has brought eternal life to the creation. Romans 6, verses 3 through 5. The apostle writes, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death 
that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So Paul writes there that the resurrection is something that we have already become partakers of in Christ. We think of resurrection just as that time, that day when our body, this earthly body, whether it's alive when Jesus returns or whether it's in the grave and it'll be raised up to new life, we very often think of the resurrection only in that way. And that is a correct way to think of it. But the resurrection is only, that reality is only true because of what has already transpired. Paul writes, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death? And if we were baptized into his death, that means that we have become partakers of his life. And we are to walk in that life. To be baptized into Christ Jesus is, is to be baptized into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead, even so we also are to walk in newness of life, his life, his new life. Baptism doesn't save us, it identifies us, it marks us as having been crucified with Christ, having been buried with him through baptism into death, even so we also walk in newness of life. That is the demand and the power of resurrection. A new life. That's what God gave to us when he saved us. That is what God provided for all who are saved when Jesus was resurrected. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Again, Paul writes about the resurrection and the reality of it. If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Where there is, verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. To be raised with Christ is the power and the mystery of the resurrection. To seek those things which are above where Christ is, is not to seek things that are not on this earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? When Paul says, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are of the earth or on the earth. He's not saying don't pay attention to earthly things. He's not saying don't worry about eating lunch. Don't worry about paying your electric bill. Don't worry about whether your yard is mowed or your roof is fixed or whether your mortgage is paid. That's not what he's saying. We must do all of those things and do all of those to the glory of God. What he's saying is ultimately if we've been raised with Christ, what determines ultimately who we are and what happens to us is not anything on this earth. It's not whether we get coronavirus or not. It's not whether we have a large retirement or not. It's not whether we 
have everything we want right now or not. It's not whether we, you fill in the blank. All of the things that we concern ourselves with, and rightly so on a daily basis, ultimately those are not the things that will determine our eternal state. What will determine our eternal state are not the things that are on this earth. They are the things above. They are the things that transcend the earth. They are the things of Christ. They are the things where Christ is. They are in Christ. They are given to us in Christ. They are made possible and provided to us eternally in Christ. It is to seek those things that are not, that are not of this earth. We are now in this world. We live in this world. God put us here for a reason. But we are no longer of this world. That is very clear. When Jesus prayed, he said, Lord, they are in the world, but they're not of the world. And he prayed that we would be protected, that we would be shielded, that we would endure the temptations being in this world because we are no longer of this world. As believers living in this world, we are in Christ and we are of Christ. Christ is all and in all. This is the promise of resurrection. God created this earth for man. He has filled it with goodness to be utilized and enjoyed by all of us. But there is nothing in or of this world that can save us or even ultimately satisfy and fill us. We will try. We will live as hard as we can and try to gain everything we can of this world to fill us and to satisfy us. Some will do that until their dying breath only to find that there was nothing of this world that could ultimately save them or satisfy them. Some, fortunately, by the grace of God, will discover that there is nothing I can fill my life with of this world that can save me and truly satisfy me. If I were to gain the whole world and lose my soul, what have I gained? I've gained nothing. Our salvation and our fullness is found only in Christ, only in His new life. And the only way to enter his new life is by resurrection. I want to read an excerpt of an essay by C.S. Lewis from, his, from a collection of essays called God in the Dock. And this essay is about the resurrection and about Christ. Lewis writes, Then we come to the strangest story of all. The story of the resurrection. It is very necessary to get the story clear. I heard a man say the importance of the resurrection is that it gives evidence of survival. Evidence that the human personality survives death. On that view, what happened to Christ would be what had always happened to all men. The difference being that in Christ's case, we were privileged to see it happening. This is certainly not what the earliest Christian writers thought. Something perfectly new in the history of the universe had happened. 
Christ had defeated death. The door which had always been locked had been for the very first time forced open. This is something quite distinct from mere ghost survival. I don't mean that they disbelieved in ghost survival. On the contrary, they believed in it so firmly that on more than one occasion, Christ had had to assure them that he was not a ghost. The point is that while believing in survival, they yet regarded the resurrection as something totally different and new. The resurrection narratives are not a picture of survival after death. They record a totally new mode of being has arisen in the universe. Something new had appeared in the universe as new as the first coming of organic life. This man after death does not get divided into ghost and corpse. A new mode of being has arisen. That is the story. What are we going to make of it? The question is, I suppose, whether any hypothesis covers the facts so well as the Christian hypothesis. This hypothesis that God has come down into the created universe, down to mankind, and come, and come up again, pulling it up with him. God came down to mankind, and in, the res- and in the resurrection, he pulled it up with him. The alternative hypothesis is not legend, it's not exaggeration, or the apparitions of a ghost. It is either lunacy or lies. Unless one can take the second alternative, and I cannot, One turns to the Christian theory. What are we to make of Christ? There is no question of what we can make of him. It is entirely a question of what he intends to make of us. You must accept or reject the story. The things he says are very different from what other teachers had said. Others say, this is the truth about the universe. This is the way you ought to go. But Jesus says, I am the truth and the way and the life. He says, no man can reach absolute reality except through me. Try to retain your own life and you will be inevitably ruined. Give yourself away and you will be saved. He says, if you are ashamed of me, if... When you hear this call, you turn the other way. I will also look the other way when I come again as God without disguise. If anything, whatever is keeping you from God and from me, whatever it is, throw it away. If it is your eye, pluck it out. If it is your hand, cut it off. If you put yourself first, you will be last. Come to me, everyone who is carrying a heavy load. I will set that right. Your sins, all of them, are wiped out. I can do that. I am rebirth. I am life. Eat me. Drink me. I am your food. And finally, do not be afraid. I have overcome the whole 
universe. That is the issue. End quote. Christ is the new humanity. He is the new man called the first fruits. He is called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The first fruits of resurrection. Christ in his resurrection has brought forth a new creation. Christ is the first of a new mode of being. As Lewis writes, as new as the first coming of organic life. That's what was raised up when Christ came out of the tomb. That's what came forth in resurrection. Something as new as the first sign of organic life in the creation. What Christ has brought to us, what Christ has given to us, has never existed before in mankind. You don't just become a resuscitated being. You don't just to get your life back again when you're resurrected in Christ. You become, as the scripture teaches us, a new creation. A new man with a new life. If we are not part of his new creation, his new life, we have no hope and we certainly have no life. If we are his new creation, we have all the hope his new life provides. In Christ, we have hope that is eternal. Hope that does not and cannot disappoint. This is the power of resurrection. Now right there, I lost some people when I said that we have a hope in Christ that cannot disappoint. Because people will remind me of all their disappointments, of all their pain, of all their suffering that they have gone through, that they have experienced, even though they trust in Christ. And that is not the point of a hope that does not disappoint. That is not to say we will never experience disappointment or hardship or tribulation or even death. Jesus, hear me well, church, Jesus promises all of us that those things will happen in this world. The resurrection does not prevent those. The resurrection has overcome all of those. In fact, as Lewis says, the resurrection has overcome the whole universe. What is it that we would ever face that the resurrection cannot and has not already overcome. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 20. Paul writes, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, man capital, I mean man little m, by man capital M also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, the little man, all die. Even so in Christ, the capital man, all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The resurrection proclaims true freedom and provides the only path to true victory. The resurrection shows us 
that on the battlefield of life, wherever it is we fight, we fight a losing battle apart from the resurrection. The, resurrec the resurrection points us to the only place, the only path to victory. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also declared, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the path. He is the only way to true victory. The only way to overcome all things. Jesus is the resurrection and he is the life. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the defeat of death. That's what the resurrection did. It defeated death. Death is defeated, awaiting its destruction. By man came death. By man, that is by the new man, came the resurrection of the dead. Christ is the new man who defeated death and will one day destroy it completely. The resurrection is good news. It is good news that places a demand on each one of us. As Lewis said, you must accept or reject the story. The demand resurrection makes on us is to come to see our own mortal sin and know our need for resurrection. That's what resurrection must do. Resurrection must be more than a hope we have of one day coming out of a grave or one day never having to really die. That is a false narrative. That's a lie. If we think that we never have to die, that is not what the Scripture teaches. In fact, the Scripture commands we must die. There's a lot of people right now literally believing the rapture is going to take place in September. I, I get calls. I got calls this week. Pastor, is this the end? Is this the plague? Is this, is this it? Is this the end of the world? No. Hear me. Hey, out there in virtual land. No, it is not the end of the world. No. And we are so enraptured, no pun intended, with escaping death that we somehow have convinced ourselves that the resurrection means that we don't have to die. That's not what the resurrection means. In fact, the resurrection means just the opposite. You can't have a resurrection without a death. The resurrection demands that we must die. If you want to be part of the resurrection, guess what? You have to die. And the most important death you must die is the death with Jesus in the cross. You must be crucified with him. You must be put to death. And in being put to death with him in the cross... You will be raised with him in new life. Not resuscitation, but new life. You will become something that never existed before until Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He is the defeat of death. Christ is the new man. The one who will ultimately destroy death. This is the demand it makes on us to see our mortal sin and to know our need for death and resurrection. Without resurrection, our sin is not finally defeated. 
Resurrection necessitates a death, and it is death that we seek to avoid at all cost. And if there is ever a time in our history that that is not on display, it is right now. But let me remind you, our desire to avoid death is not a bad thing. It is right. We seek to avoid death at all costs. Rightly so, for death is our terrible enemy. For those in Christ, death is an enemy we should never minimize. But we should also never fear. Our enemy is real. But it has really been defeated and is awaiting a final destruction that has promised and made certain that promise of death's final destruction is made certain in the resurrection of Christ. What Christ has provided for us in the resurrection is literal. Christ rose bodily, not symbolically, not spiritually, He is risen in real flesh, in real blood, in real bone. The resurrection is not symbolism for inspirational or human ideas. The victory of Christ in the resurrection is a literal victory. Resurrection demands we come to grips with the reality that life does not just work itself out. That's what we all want to believe. We say, oh, coronavirus, it'll all work out. All life, it'll all work out. I'm, the, I'm one of the most guilty of saying that. It'll all work out. Because I really do believe that. But life does not just work itself out. It's not that eventually everything will be alright. Those are seductively convenient lies that deny the necessity of what Jesus accomplished through his life, his death, and his bodily resurrection. The promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose is true. It is true not because all things eventually work out. It is true because Jesus finished his work on the cross. Things don't just work out. They get worked out. And Jesus worked them out on the cross. Jesus finished his work at the cross He was resurrected and he ascended to the Father. God's promises are true because Jesus is risen. That's why I can say with all honesty, it's going to work out. Not because things just work out, but because I believe in the promises of God. Because I believe in the hope of the resurrection. Because I believe in the finished work, the work that works all things out, the work of Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Jesus did not suffer and die and rise again so that we could be more or so that we could more easily believe the lies of the world and the lies that we tell ourselves. Lies like, oh, it's going to be okay, everything will work out. Now you might believe that because you're believing the promises of God, but you also might believe that because you're just living in denial. And denial doesn't work anything out. Denial just prolongs the inevitable. Jesus works things out. Our denial and our lies to ourselves don't work anything out. 
Don't go through life believing everything is going to just work out. Go through life believing in the power of resurrection. Believe in the power of Jesus. Believe in the power of his promises brought to bear, brought to reality in his resurrection. He is the truth. He didn't suffer and die so that we could just believe lies that would, would, uh, would make our life more bearable. Lies to make us believe that there is help for us in anything but resurrection. Outside of Christ, the lie that eventually everything will be all right is just that. It's a lie. Jesus is the truth. His resurrection is not only true, it validates Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. I want to read another quote to you from Karl Barth concerning the resurrection. I thought he put this very well. Resurrection, not progress, not evolution, not enlightenment, but a call from heaven to us, rise up. You are dead, but I will give you life. No cultural education, no art, no evolutionary development helps us beyond our sins. We must receive assistance from the ground up. Then the steep walls of our security are broken to bits, and we are forced to become humble, poor, and pleading. Thus we are driven more and more to surrender and to give up all that we have. Surrender and give up all those things which we formerly used to protect and defend and hold to ourselves against the voice of the resurrection's truth. It's like the old saying, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to die. We all love the resurrection until it makes a demand on our own life. And we can go through life putting up our steep walls. And we can go through life behind our facades. And we can go through life lying to ourselves and believing the lies of the world. And believing false theologies and false doctrines that are twisted from the scripture. That in the end, everything's going to work out because God is love and Jesus is a flower child who walks around with peace and love and passing out happy tracks. So I'm just going to deny the realities of life and I'm just going to believe everything's going to work out in the end. Barth says, no, it doesn't work that way. Resurrection, not progress, not evolution, not enlightenment, not lies. Resurrection calls to us from heaven. And says, rise up. You are dead. But I will give you life. How many people go through life dead and they don't know it? They deny it. But this is what resurrection does. It calls to us. It reminds us we're dead. And only God can call us to life. There's nothing of this world. There's nothing of this earth that can save us. Only God can save us. And if we deny him, we've denied our salvation. If we reject him, we've rejected our salvation. The only hope that we have. The demand of resurrection is that we surrender and give up all that we have, all that we use to protect and defend and hold ourselves against the voice of the resurrection's truth. The resurrection's truth is not just a symbol or human idea to distract us and make us and make our mortality more bearable. It demands our total surrender. That's what death is. When we enter into death, we are powerless. 
When we're dead in our sin, we are powerless to save ourselves. We can live a life of death, if you understand what I mean, deceiving ourselves, thinking that we have saved ourselves by our dead good works, by our dead faith, by our dead proclamations, by all the things we do in death that make us believe we're really alive, but we're not. The resurrection calls to us that we see ourselves for who we are in need of life. And there's only one who can give us life. It is Jesus. He is the one that has gone before us. He is the one that is the first fruits. He is the one that has busted through the door of death that no one else could ever break through. The resurrection demands that we do not settle for less than what Jesus actually achieved. The resurrection does not make death less terrible. Do you understand that? It's like saying to someone who's just experienced the tragic loss of a loved one. Well, at least they're in heaven. That does not take away the terrible tragedy in pain of death. That's a well-meaning sentiment. And the resurrection doesn't take away the terribleness of death. It doesn't make death less terrible. It defeats it. Hitler didn't become less terrible because he was defeated. He was terrible. And so he was defeated. No one says, you know, Hitler, he was not really that bad of a guy. After looking back on things, you know, he's defeated. He really was probably a pretty good guy. No, but yet that's kind of what we do with death. Oh, you know, death's not so bad because we're going we're gonna to be resurrected. No, death is bad. Death is an enemy. The Bible calls death our enemy. And the resurrection doesn't make death less terrible. The resurrection defeats it. The resurrection does not simply give us courage. It gives us victory. It's fine to have courage. A lot of men on the battlefield had courage as they were defeated. It wasn't their courage who brought them victory. It was their courage who helped them endure defeat. Listen, the resurrection does more than give us courage. It gives us victory. The resurrection is not a distraction from the bitterness of our present reality. It is the means to overcome it. Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. You will have bitterness. You will have hard times that seem impossible. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. You see, the resurrection doesn't make life less bitter or more bearable. The resurrection causes us to overcome. It gives us the means to overcome. Resurrection is not our happy thought to help us escape the misery of the present. Resurrection is our victory that ushers us into a new creation. Resurrection demands we follow Christ into the death of the cross to be raised in his new life and to walk and overcome in this world as a new creation. The resurrection is good news. It puts a demand on us. But it is good news. 
In Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, our hope springs eternal with new life. Do you know why? For he is risen. That's why. Because he is risen. Amen. That is the good news. Christ is risen. And we come to this table and we celebrate not a dead Savior, not a resuscitated Savior. We celebrate a resurrected, a risen Savior who is the first fruits of new life. And if you trust Jesus today, right now, if you trust Jesus, if you cry out to Jesus, if you call upon Jesus, if you say, Jesus, I see my sin, I see my death, I need your life, I need your resurrection. If you cry out to Jesus, his promise is he will save you. So cry out to Jesus, be saved. For those of you that are here, as you trust in Jesus, come to this table, proclaim his death, proclaim his body, proclaim his resurrection, proclaim his life eternal. Christian, come to the table and come to Jesus. Let's all stand. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's Easter. He has risen. Here's your charge, church. Keep the resurrection real. Don't allow the resurrection to become an empty symbol or an antidote to simply ease the pain of sin and death. The resurrection is not for easing our pain, but for overcoming sin and death, which is the source of all pain. Embrace the resurrection and so embrace the cross. Don't admire Jesus. Follow him. Follow him to the cross, into death, and into new life. Admirers do not follow Jesus to the cross. They admire him as he travels to the cross, wishing or perhaps Thankful they do not have to do the same. No, follow him. Follow him to the cross. Follow him to death. And so follow him to new life. Walk as a new creation. Make known the new life in Christ through the power of his resurrection. It is new life because it is his life. It's not our own. In Christ the old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In him we are a new creation through the power of resurrection. He is risen. So go and live like it. Amen. God bless you. Let's sing our thanks.